Welcome everybody to chapter 24 of S.M. Haughton's Ch Sketches from Church History. Specifically, we'll be discussing the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli uh, and his part in the Reformation. Many people think he is uh, essentially a crypto-baptist. He was not, uh, although his view of the sacraments was not uh, the Calvinist uh, or Calvin's view of the sacraments, we should say. Uh, he is not a, uh, he was not a Baptist. As a matter of fact, uh, he had significant struggles with the Anabaptists. Uh, we'll learn more about the Anabaptists in a little while. The Anabaptists were not um, also the forerunners of the modern Baptists. Interestingly enough, as we'll see, modern Baptists really descend from the, uh, the British Puritans, at least the American uh, Baptists descend from the British uh, Puritans and specifically uh, the Reformed uh, uh, Puritans uh, in, um, in England, uh, as do the Congregationalists. Um, but let's go ahead and pray before we get started. God, our Father, we pray now, Lord, that you would be with us as we learn more about your work in history. I do thank you, Lord, for men of uh, zeal and bravery for your work, men like Ulrich Zwingli. We thank you, Lord, that they were willing to sacrifice everything uh, for the sake of your truth. I do pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to learn from their example and from their teaching. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And amen. Chapter 24, Ulrich Zwingli. Having looked at the history of the Reformation as it began and made progress in Germany, we now turn to surrounding lands, and first of all to Switzerland, where in the northern part of the uh, northern part the people were mostly German in language and customs, in distinction from those parts which were geographically in certain other respects linked with France. Ulrich Zwingli led the Reformation movement in the northern part of Switzerland. He was born in the village of Wildhaus in 1484. Like Luther, he was of lowly birth, but he was brought up in more favorable circumstances than Luther and was educated in a school at Basel at, and at the University of Vienna. He was an altogether different type of man from Luther, uh, but the teaching of the Spirit of God led both of them in the same direction. Zwingli became more and more convinced of the sad condition of the church, and as he was a very earnest and diligent student of the Bible, he also became convinced that between many of the teachings and practices of the Roman Catholic Church and those of the scriptures, there was a world of difference. At the same time, he read the writings of the early fathers and the books of Wycliffe and Huss. When a colleague of Tetzel, Bernardin Samson, sold indulgences in Switzerland, Zwingli raised a protest. But he was not as bold as Luther, nor was Samson as boisterous as Tetzel, so there was not such a violent clash in Switzerland as there was in Germany. In 1519, Zwingli, he had become a priest in 1506, was invited to become preacher in Zurich, and he accepted uh, on condition that he would be left free to preach the pure gospel of Christ. In this city, striking things were to happen. Great crowds came to hear his sermons, and from all sides was heard the comment, Such preaching we greatly need. He tells us the way of salvation. Zwingli himself, a true shepherd uh, to his flock, or Zwingli showed himself, sorry, a true shepherd to his flock. This became especially evident during the days in which the plague came to the city. It proved very severe, for 2,500 died of it out of a total population of only 17,000. Zwingli, ignoring all danger of infection, visited the stricken families and comforted the dying. He himself fell a victim to the plague, and for about three months he was very ill indeed. Finally, he recovered and wrote a famous Christian song to commemorate the event. Now, one thing that uh, should be noted about all the, the true servants of God in this era, and then a hundred years later, in the, what could be referred to as the Second uh, Reformation time, 
was a zeal uh, for God's people. Uh, at the time the Reformation was happening, not only did the majority of priests not really know God or nor the power of the gospel, uh, often they, they didn't even understand the words that they were saying in the Latin Mass, uh, there, was a, there was a lack of pastoral care. Uh, and as the reformers became captive to the word of God uh, and were filled with the spirit, one of the things that changed was you saw a huge upsurge in the uh, amount of care uh, that these Protestants were taking of their congregations. One of the things that was very notable, for instance, was when uh, after the restoration of Charles, and this is 100 years later, uh, Charles II, in England to the throne after the uh, the Puritan or uh, revolution had had fallen after the death of Cromwell and so on. Uh, one of the things that happened was there was a plague in London, uh, and the, uh, the the king's time servers, the uh, the men who loved pomp and circumstance and titles and livings and so on, uh, they all fled the city. And the Puritan ministers who had been banned by the king and ejected from their livings, they came back to the city. And they took care of the people who were dying there. They offered pastoral counsel and consolation uh, to these people who were on death's door. So that was one of the things that you uh, you see in these men that testifies to the truth of their uh, their message. The fact that it worked in them to provide uh, the people with such. Uh, such good shepherds. They were not just shepherds of men's souls in the in the sense of preaching well, uh, but they genuinely cared for them and did all they could to take care of them. That was one of the signs of Reformation. And if you have a man who uh, has orthodox doctrine but cares nothing for his congregation, um, wouldn't be <laughs> wouldn't be seen dead uh, visiting them when they're sick and things like that. And then then you've got a man who's uh, um, something's definitely wrong with his pastoral ministry. He's not, uh, he's not fulfilling the role of a shepherd as Jesus set the example, certainly. Three years after his arrival in Zurich, Zwingli expressed himself very clearly and frankly about fasting, especially during the season of Lent, and this plunged him into contention with the Bishop of Constance. The debate was in public and was heard by a crowded audience, including the mayor and council of the city. The spokesman for the bishop claimed that the antiquity of the custom of fasting during Lent was in itself a plain proof that it was inspired and required by the Holy Spirit. Zwingli spoke against the custom but urged the people not to act rashly and to exercise patience. Like Luther at the time, he told the people to await the coming Reformation, but the bishop remained highly dissatisfied with such words and did his utmost to suppress all preaching of Reformation doctrines. Zurich, however, declared itself firmly in favor of Zwingli's preaching and teaching, and the influence of the city became widespread. So there we see another one of the elements of uh, the the Reformation coming out, that they were getting rid of the uh, the fasts and the holy days and all of the things that uh, the Roman Catholic Church observed, but which had no foundation in Scripture. Uh, there's a, a few amusing stories about uh, how um, uh, Zwingli uh, scandalized the church by eating sausages during the, uh, the supposed fasting time in Lent. Uh, incidentally, um, if you are an observer of Lent, uh, and indeed those, those holy days and so on, uh, I know this will offend you, but these, these are not things that were in Scripture, they are traditions. Now, uh, for the Roman Catholic Church, which uh, said that they had the, the right to decree rites and ceremonies to create these things, um, 
Well, well and good for them, but uh, that's that's not a scriptural teaching. All authority is given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to teach his commandments, not things that the church has invented or imported from uh, other religions and uh, the uh, cultures around us. We are to be uh, Bible Christians, people whose faith and life and practice is founded upon the scriptures, which are sufficient to tell us all that we need to know uh, in order to live the Christian life. And that's what Swingley was trying to do. Luther and Zwingli agreed on many points of Bible doctrine, but they also differed on some important points, including the doctrine pertaining to the Lord's Supper. One of the German princes, Philip Langrave of Hesse, was anxious to bring about a union between the two men and their respective adherents, and for this purpose, he called a conference at Marburg in 1529. But success was not achieved. It is not our purpose here to explain the doctrinal differences between the two men. It can only be said that on both sides, views were tenaciously held, even though both claimed to hold strictly to the teaching of Scripture. With tears in his eyes, Zwingli said, There are no people on earth with whom I would rather be in harmony than with the Wittenbergers, that is, with the followers of Luther. But Luther would not bend to Zwingli's teaching and would only receive the Swiss reformer and his followers as friends, not as brethren and members of the Church of Christ. He said to Zwingli, You have... A different spirit. Lenten sausages indeed, Matty. Um, there's a, a famous uh, scene where Luther, uh, at, the, at the Colloquy of Marburg, he wrote on the, the, the table that they were sitting at in chalk, hoc est corpus meum, uh, the Latin words for what Jesus said at the Lord's Supper, this is my body, and he kept making reference to it. He would pull it up, you know, hoc est corpus meum. The sacrament must be, in some sense, physically, uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, rather than simply a... Um, uh, Zwingli went a little further towards the memorial side than, uh, than we would, of course. But uh, the idea that uh, Christ was only spiritually present within the sacraments was anathema to, uh, uh, to Luther, and he would not let go of it. Uh, and it became, uh, we would, you know, uh, these days we would say a, a difference... Uh, over such a thing should never uh, should never break brothers apart. But back then, uh, you got to understand, baptism and the Lord's Supper were of critical importance. As a matter of fact, uh, the idea that you would rebaptize anybody after they had been rightly baptized was a scandal within the church, uh, and hence the Anabaptists were often put to death. But moving on with Zwingli, <clears throat> before long. The Swift Brethren formed a new religious organization which they called the Reformed Church, in distinction from what came to be called the Lutheran Church. Reformation now made rapid progress. Switzerland is a country divided into cantons, and many of these accepted the new doctrine. Others, however, remained strictly Catholic and even formed a league with Catholic Austria to suppress the Reformation. This made them the enemies of Zwingli. Overbearing and political troubles were added to doctrinal disputes. Uh, this made the enemies of Zwingli overbearing, and political doctrines were added to doctrinal disputes. Protestants were persecuted and some were murdered. Four cantons took up arms, and it appeared probable that the Reformation would gain a military victory, but before the decisive battle was fought, a compromise was arranged. The League with Austria was nullified, and the Catholics promised toleration to the Protestants who lived in the Catholic cantons. When the Catholics did not give effect to their promise, but continued the old policy of persecution, another civil war broke out, and soon an army of 800 Catholics invaded the canton of Zurich. The Zwinglians at once raised a small army of 2,700, the reformer himself joining the forces, not as a combatant, but a chaplain. 
1531, a battle was fought at Capel in deadly earnest and with great bitterness. Zwingli cared for the wounded and the dying, many of his own relations being among them, including his brother-in-law, stepson, and son-in-law. With hardly an exception, prominent Zurich families had to mourn their dead. About 500 were slain. Zwingli was among the slain. Wounded in the legs by a sphere and his helmet battered by a stone, he fell down. One of the enemy, acting in kindly fashion, offered to call a Catholic priest to hear his dying confession. Unable to speak, Zwingli shook his head. Then pray to the Mother of God and call upon the saints that God in his grace may accept you, said the foe. Again, Zwingli shook his head, an action marking him as a Protestant. More of the enemy then arrived, and one of them, reviling Zwingli for holding the Reformed faith, struck him with a sword and killed him. His body was next quartered by a hangman who was brought, and according to the law of, empire, of the empire, its various parts were mixed with dung and burned. His ashes were scattered to the winds. Zwingli was only 47 years of age, and his death was a cause of intense grief to his followers. Luther was deeply shocked. He believed that the displeasure of God had been shown against the Swiss for resorting to the sword to defend themselves. But before many years had passed, the Reformed faith had made remarkable progress, not only in German, but also in the French cantons. Swingley's successor at Zurich was Henry Bullinger, and under his teaching, a confession of faith was accepted by all the Reformed cantons. It was known as the Helvetic Confession, Helvetia being the uh, name of Switzerland in the days of ancient Rome, and was signed also by Knox and other Scottish ministers, by the churches of the southern Rhineland, and by Reformed congregations of Poland and Hungary. One of the things that we're going to see is uh, how there was a, a great deal of cross-pollination within the Reformation. Many uh, people came from uh, lands in which they were being persecuted. Knox uh, was one of them. With the, the Scots came to Switzerland, uh, Geneva became to them a, uh, a, a city of refuge, a place also where they could learn the, the critical doctrines of the Reformed faith and then in turn bring them back uh, to their homelands. And we're going to see the same names, names like Bullinger, for instance, coming up again and again in places like England and so on as the Reformation uh, spread and the, uh, the influence of gospel teaching uh, widened. Uh, in any event, we are grateful to God, or at least we should be grateful to God, for men like Swingley, men who are willing to stand firm for the faith. One of the things I need to comment on, though, that's very important uh, to see is, as we go throughout the history of Reformation is, as a general rule, whenever Protestants took up arms in order to defend the Reformation, uh, it did not go well. Uh, it did not go for, well for the Scots uh, when they were defending their Reformation. Um, as, a, as a general rule, then, uh, God would prefer his, uh, his word to spread through the preaching of the word heart by heart, even in the midst of persecution, rather than that we take up the, uh, the sword and fight. Uh, the Huguenot, uh, Huguenots in France, we'll see, will lose their own particular struggle. But the only place where uh, we see a Protestant Reformation succeeding by force of arms uh, and also by preaching, of course, was in Holland with the Dutch, but in most places, wherever they, they fought for uh, the cause of Christ, um, things did not go well as a general rule. So let us remember that uh, it's better to, uh, it's always better to be willing to be martyred for the faith uh, than certainly to kill others for it and to take up the sword. We are people who are called to be persecuted and possibly to die for our faith. In any event, uh, tomorrow you'll be glad to hear we'll finally be hitting or getting to, not hitting, uh, getting to John Calvin and the Reformation in Geneva, how he came to be there, and how that great French reformer influenced uh, us so very greatly. In the meantime, see everybody. I uh, hope you have a good day, and God bless you all.